Well, good morning. It is good to see you. Thanks for uh, joining here at the 930 service. It's good to be together and uh, glad you have decided to be with us this morning. As Trevor just prayed, my name is Daniel and I'm one of the pastors here and we are in the middle of a fall sermon series titled Encountering Jesus. Uh, We're looking at different encounters that Jesus had with various people in the four gospels of the New Testament. If you were here last week, Pastor Timothy preached on John chapter 3 and Jesus' encounter with Nicodemus. And we learned that Nicodemus was a Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, which meant he was educated, moral, wealthy, powerful, and influential. He was at the top of the religious and social ladder. This week, we're going to look at John chapter 4 and Jesus' encounter with a Samaritan woman at a well. And if Nicodemus was at the top of the religious and social ladder, this woman is at the bottom of the religious and social ladder. And Nicodemus, we saw that no one's too good to be beyond the need of God's grace in Jesus Christ. And this morning, in the Samaritan woman, we will see that no one is too bad to be beyond the reach of God's grace in Jesus Christ. And so if you are able, I'm going to ask you to stand and we're going to give attention to John chapter 4. I'm going to read a decently long portion this morning, verses 1 through 30. This is God's word to us this morning. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. 
Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Isaiah tells us the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Pray with me. Holy Spirit, would you speak to our spirits that we might see Christ, and that encountering you, God, we might be transformed. Meet us where we are, and I pray that the words of my mouth, meditation of all of our hearts will be pleasing to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Uh, I love it when there are phrases that capture something succinctly uh, in a way that also kind of make it stick to memory. One of my best friends in seminary was a guy who grew up on the Georgia-Tennessee line in a small town called Chickamauga, Georgia. And he always had a, a way of saying things, phrases that made me laugh and that made me remember. Some of my best times studying in seminary were with Hutch Garmany uh, because he would just kind of turn a phrase and make me belly laugh. But one time we were walking in the woods somewhere and he said, hey, Daniel, watch out for Jake, no shoulders. And I said, I said what? He said, watch out for Jake, no shoulders. And he said, you know, Jake, a snake, right? Snake is Jake, no shoulders. And, and since then, I've actually used this phrase and all three of my sons will say, watch out for Jake, no shoulders to reference looking out for a snake. Well, this week, I came across an old turn of phrase as I was preparing for this sermon that I really like. Drink a rest. Drink a rest. It's a phrase that means take a break from what you're doing. Take your time getting some water or maybe some Gatorade or a cup of coffee. So as you take your time getting a drink, you also get replenished and revitalized with a rest. Well, in John chapter 4... It's a story of a Samaritan woman going to a well to get some water and drink a rest. She's a Samaritan, which Jews saw as unclean. She has many husbands. She's not even named in the story. The gospel writer John is very clear. She is a religious and social outcast, which is why she comes to Jacob's well in Sychar at the worst time of day, noon, Right when the sun is directly overhead at its hottest because she knows no one else will be there at this time. This will be her time to get a respite from her lived reality as an outsider and an outcast. She wants to drink a rest. Where do you go when you feel worn down from the realities of life? When your longings aren't being met? When you feel like you've dropped the ball or failed in some way? Or when the pressures and burdens of life weigh you down? Where do you look for respite? The Samaritan woman comes to the well and she's shocked to encounter Jesus. Verses 1 to 6 of John chapter 4 set up this long conversation between Jesus and the woman. And the verse that I want to highlight in this kind of setup in verses 1 to 6 is verse 4. Verse 4 says Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Now, practically speaking, no, he did not. 
Right, when Jews traveled, they would go around Samaria instead of through Samaria because they viewed Samaria as unclean. It was a culturally mixed group of part Jew and part Gentile, but Jesus had to go through Samaria. Every time John uses the word had, it's used in the context of divine necessity. Jesus had to go through Samaria because the Trinity was in agreement about the mission of God. In John chapter 1, the Father sends the Son. The Son becomes flesh, dwells among us. Then the Spirit descends and rests on Jesus. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are together on their mission of loving the world to reconcile all people back to God by the power of the Spirit through the life of the Son. So Jesus had to go through Samaria because the mission of God from the very beginning of Genesis was that all nations would be blessed. Acts chapter 1, chapter, uh, verse 8, tells us that the mission of God after the resurrection of Jesus, that the mission would begin in Jerusalem and then to Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. It was a divine necessity. Jesus had to go through Samaria. It was an eternal agreement between the triune community to reconcile Samaria back to life with God and even more specifically, it was Jesus' intent all along to meet this woman at the sixth hour beside the well. Now listen, nothing that God does is, is by coincidence. Jesus is intentional in his pursuit of this woman, and he is intentional in his pursuit of us. Nothing done in our lives is by coincidence. Jesus, by his grace, comes to meet us beside the wells of our lives with divine intent to reconcile us back to finding life with God by the Spirit through the Son. And his reach of grace often comes in times and places that we least expect. And so let's jump into this encounter with Jesus here. The, the first thing that I want to see about this encounter is the approach of Jesus. In verse 6, it says that Jesus was wearied from his journey. And in verse 7, a woman from Samaria comes to draw water. And the first thing that Jesus says is, give me a drink. I mean, catch this. Jesus leads this encounter with this religious and social outcast by sharing his need first. Jesus leads with his humanity. He's exhausted, tired, and thirsty. Jesus gets vulnerable and he opens up to this woman about his need so that he can meet her in her need. Because Jesus knows that to draw this woman and to draw the heart that feels unworthy to himself, intimacy is crucial. So Jesus says, I need a drink. And this woman knows this man has needs just like she does, which then invites her to be honest about her thirst. Jesus is the God-man, fully God, fully human. At times he leads with his divinity. Here he's leading with his humanity. And Jesus in his humanity means he not only knows what it means to thirst, he knows what it means to feel lonely, what it, what it means to feel hurt or discouraged, confused, sad. He knows what it means to be a human. And so as we encounter Jesus, the approach that he has with us is that he wants us to know he gets it. He gets us. He understands. Not just because he has omnipotent knowledge as the son of God, but because he has lived through vulnerable experiences as the son of man. 
And as we encounter Jesus in this way, our walls begin to fall down because we now feel known and seen. The next thing I, I want us to see about Jesus' approach is that he breaks down barriers. His encounter is with a Samaritan woman. For a Jewish person to talk to a Samaritan was irregular, and for a man to talk to a woman in public was irregular. It's why she asked in verse 9, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? Jesus' approach is scandalous and countercultural. He's clearly breaking cultural and societal norms and barriers because Jesus loves to go to people who are down and out. He loves to go to the people on the fringes of society. There is no one off limits to the reach of God's grace in Jesus. In fact, it is those who know their own need and neediness that find intimacy with Jesus accessible. That's why the first beatitude in Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who embrace their neediness, which might come as society or culture pushes a person down and out. Or embracing neediness might come as the circumstances of life push a person down and out. Or it might come from your own voice or the feelings that you have inside making you feel down and out. For Jesus, there's no one too far down and out. There's no one off limits. He welcomes all. Which is why we don't come here on a Sunday morning gathered in the sanctuary wearing name tags with our job titles. Or if you're a student with your GPA. Or our annual salary, our ethnicity badge, or our political affiliation. We enter these doors and we lay all this down and we gather together as one body. Bringing the one thing Jesus requires, our neediness. For there's no one off limits from his grace. The last thing I'll mention about the approach of Jesus is that Jesus offers a better story. Now, this woman comes to the well looking to draw water. She's thirsty. In verse 10, Jesus says, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus says, you're looking to quench your your thirst with water, but I offer you something so much better than this well water you're looking to draw. I offer you living water. In verse 14, it's a water that becomes a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, we all live day to day in a world that's constantly offering us things. It's the whole goal of marketing is to make the consumer feel like they can't resist what the company is offering. Take Apple. They're not just offering the latest iPhone. They're offering cool. You don't want to be that PC person. You want to be the cool Apple person. That's what they're really offering. Or take Dos Equis. They're not just offering a cold beer. They're offering a life of adventure. Don't be dull and boring. Stay thirsty, my friends. My point is that we are daily being offered in this world places to find meaning or people to find meaning in or purpose or adventure, connection, intimacy, freedom. And what Jesus in the gospel does is that he comes to us and he says, I'm the better version of what you're looking for. You want meaning? I give it. You want purpose? It's found in me. You want connection? Intimacy with me is like nothing you've ever experienced. You want freedom? Follow me. And the thing about Jesus is that this offer is free. And there's nothing better than free. 
You, you don't have to purchase, earn, perform, or compete to get it. Verse 10, it's a free gift. That's the offer of Christianity and the grace of Jesus. It's free, but it is a gift, which means we need to receive it. Or you could say, believe it. Now, I know when a preacher says, do you believe it? It creates all kind of existential crisis for many of us. Because you start going, how do I know if I'm really believing it? Well, I want to highlight a word that Jesus uses here with this woman that I, that I think is helpful. And it's the word ask. He says, if you would have asked. I think ask at times is a little more helpful than the word believe. Because you may not always know or feel like you believe, but you can be sure if you're asking. And if you're asking, God is faithful to extend the free gift of himself to you. Right? This is the approach that Jesus has with this woman. The next thing I want us to look at is the revelation of Jesus, how he reveals himself. At first, the Samaritan woman, she's encountering this thirsty man. And then as the conversation goes on, she begins to understand he's, he's a Jewish man, perhaps a rabbi. But now we see her progressing and understanding as Jesus reveals himself as a prophet. And then we'll see even more so as the Messiah. And in verse 16, Jesus tells her, go call your husband. And she replies, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right. You've had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. Now, now many people, and I, I look back at my sermon from like 15 years ago when I was doing campus ministry. And I preached John 4. I did this, so conviction on myself. Many people will paint this woman's moral life with a color that I don't think John, the author, provides. Right? We don't know why this woman has so many husbands. It could be sexual in nature, or it could be she was a victim of men's divorce or of tragic deaths. We don't know the details. But we do know it's irregular and unusual for her to have had so many husbands. And Jesus knows this. And in verse 19, she says, I, Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. And Jesus' insight into her personal life and his ability to know the depths of her situation reveals to her, her who Jesus is. Right? Jesus is pressing in on the realities of her life that he really knows her. And this becomes a little bit too uncomfortable for the woman, so she shifts the conversation and dodges Jesus' interaction about her husband's by bringing up a theological question about the location of worship. Now, I, I remember meeting with an older pastor years ago, probably 15, 14 years ago. And as we were walking along, and uh, we were in Chapel Hill, and he, he was asking me personal questions about some of the pain in my life, some of my own personal regrets and longings. And, and then he asked me very pointedly, as a good pastor, uh, this question, he said, Daniel, when was the last time you felt loved? And I literally felt my heart break and tears started to well up in my eyes. And you know what I said to him with tears in my eyes? What do you mean by love? I dodged his question and my heart with an intellectual question about the definition of love. I wanted to like pull out Webster's Dictionary to give me the definition of love. And when I asked this question, you know what happened? My tears went away. My emotions went down. It was a really good juke move to get away from dealing with my heart. Intellectual questions, they're great. Jesus welcomes them. 
Theology is wonderful. We need good theology. But be careful of using your questions or your intellect or theological debate as a smokescreen to run away from your heart. Jesus, in his kindness, goes along with her on the topic of worship, and yet again, he's telling the better story. Jesus says, worship isn't about the geographic location. It's not about worshiping on the mountain or the temple. He says, verse 23, the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Geographic location doesn't matter, but rather where someone looks for respite, for meaning, for connection, this is what matters. And the question of worship is, are you looking to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? The, the hour is coming when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, which is the Son. The presence of God encountered in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, is where we are to look, is where we are to worship. And the cross of Jesus Christ, it is the climax of the Trinitarian mission of God loving the world. When Jesus says the hour is coming, he's talking about the cross. And the cross would be of divine necessity so that through the cross we might inherit new life with God, which is the forgiveness of sin, reconciliation to God, but it's also the Spirit's presence, which unites us to Jesus and gives us peace, joy, and love. And when Jesus was lifted up on a tree at the sixth hour, crucified as a religious and social outcast, in that very hour, Jesus would express his need again with the same words that he uttered to this woman, I thirst. And on the cross, Jesus wouldn't drink the water offered to him because he would entrust himself to his father and to the spirit that there was a better offer. And so instead, he would drink the cup of wrath. And he would bear in his body the weight of the sins of the world so that all who believe might find their rest in God. So the Trinity was on mission, new life experienced by the Spirit through the Son to the glory of the Father. Jesus drinking the cup of wrath to offer the world true rest, life with God. And it's at this moment in their encounter that the woman begins to see fully who Jesus is. Verse 25, the woman says, I know that Messiah is coming. In verse 26, Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. He says, ego me, I am he. And the gospel of John is full, is a gospel full of I am's, if you read it at all. But Jesus' first I am is to this religious and social outcast and outsider. And whereas it took Nicodemus, the one on the top of the ladder, a lot of time before he ever believed, it took this woman who thought of herself too down and too out to be beyond the reach of God's grace, no time to believe. It's almost immediate. Jesus quenches her thirst in a deeper way than she's looking, gives her rest in a deeper way than she was in search of, provides perfect love in ways that her husbands never could. And brothers and sisters, in a world filled with many offers day after day Jesus provides the better one it was the call to worship it was the song that we sung Isaiah 55 come everyone who thirsts come to the water and he who has no money come buy and eat come buy wine and milk without money and without price it's free 
and incline your ear. Come to me here that your soul may live. Come to Jesus and find your life in him. Drink a rest. And when we do, we will, like this woman, have a worship that fuels God's mission. And in verse 28, the end of our passage, it says that she left her water jar behind. She no longer was looking to get respite from her lived reality. She's now drinking living water. And her new reality is her life with Jesus. And her identity is not outsider, but insider. And she's experiencing grace and acceptance. And she knows that she is loved by God. And she worships by the power of the Spirit and in the truth of Christ. And this new life then flows out of her. And she becomes a fountain of living water, not to herself, but for others. And she joins with the Father, Son, and Spirit on their mission. She goes back to her hometown and she shares the good news. Verse 29, come see a man who told me all I've ever done. Can this be the Christ? She simply shares her story. In verse 39, which we didn't read, it says that many Samaritans in that town believed in Jesus. One way you can know that you're drinking living water, one way you know that you're experiencing new life with God and worshiping in spirit and in truth is when you discover yourself, right? You're not making yourself. You discover yourself living on God's mission of loving the world. And one simple way to love the world is to share with others what God has done and is doing in your life. It's just simply sharing the reach of God's grace in your life with those around you. Mission is not that complicated, Christ Central. We tell stories of God's grace. We tell stories of, of how Jesus and not this world gives us renewal and rest from our lived realities. We tell stories of how Jesus gives us meaning and purpose and identity. And then we share these stories. And we simply invite people like this woman, come see a man, Jesus who freely gives grace to any who ask. And so every Sunday we gather in this sanctuary and we drink a rest. We take a break from our lived realities that are hard and difficult. And we look to Jesus and we linger at the cross and we ask that our new life with God would be more real to us than the world out there and we drink the living water in prayer and song and word and sacrament. And we're filled up with the love and grace of Jesus. So that by the power of the Spirit, it flows out of us into the world that we're sent into week after week unto the glory of the Father. Amen. Let's pray. God, I ask that you would draw us to yourself. Fill us with living water that we might be satisfied, and that we might flow out, that you might flow out of us into the world in which you've placed us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.